did some fishing in Ohio for a total of maybe two or three hours, and we caught more fish in that period than we've caught here in 20 years. <laughs> well, the, the first day we went, we went for about an hour, hour and a half, and they were just coming in one after the other, man. You could barely take time to get, get the worm on. So we went out the next day totally hoping and expecting that it would be like the day before. Uh, Evan in particular wanted to catch a bunch more. And uh, it started the same. We caught one right away. And then we casted and waited and waited and waited. And I'm telling you, there were snags. There were nibbles that stole the worm right off. There were snapped lines. We were there for about two hours. And he said, I just want to get one more. One more. And finally he did. Finally he did. And, and we went home and the family said, you probably caught a bunch, didn't you? Two hours. Oh, no, just two. And I thought about how life is like that sometimes. Sometimes uh, things roll along quickly and smoothly. We send up our prayer requests and the answer comes just as we were hoping it would come. Boom, boom, boom. Other times, life isn't so much like that. We, we face a trial, a delay. I talked to one family this morning how multiple things are breaking down at their house. Never one alone usually, right? Maybe you've been there. We wait and we wait. We pray, we pray. We grow discouraged. Sometimes God's answer is no to our prayer. I've been there. Sometimes the answer in God's heart is yes, but not yet. And as we wait, we're kind of left wondering, wondering, right? What I want to talk about this morning is what can we learn in those kind of moments? What can we learn in those kind of moments? And to answer that, we're going to look at Jesus' interaction with a very special lady in Matthew chapter 15. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn there with me. We're going to start at verse 21. It says, Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And there's a lot that could be said about those cities throughout the Bible. A lot of wickedness went on there. I'll sum it up in one phrase. That's where Queen Jezebel was from. Okay, says it all. You ever meet a little girl named Jezebel today? There's a reason for that. She was an idol-worshipping, wicked woman. That's where she was from. Puts it in context, okay? These cities are about 30 to 50 miles away from the Sea of Galilee. Mark 7, 24 talks about it. Tells us why he was there. It says he entered a house and did not want anyone to know. Yet he could not be hidden. Back to verse 22, back to the woman, it says, Behold, a Canaanite woman from that region. Now, if you know your Bible, you know how that word Canaanite would, would sit in the, the ears of a Jewish person, right? That would raise some eyebrows. The Canaanites were the people in the land before the Jews that God said to destroy because of their abominations. Matthew says this is a, a Canaanite woman. She came out and was crying. It wasn't just a short cry. She was crying and crying and, and crying again. 
Mark adds here in 725, immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. If you've ever gone before the Lord on behalf of a child or someone else in your life that you're very close to, you know where this woman is right now. She fell at his feet. Verse 33 in Matthew, she says, have mercy on me. O Lord, son of David, my daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. You hear her heart's cry? She sees her daughter suffering and she wants her daughter freed. Mark 7, 26 says she begged him. She's begging. That's where this has brought her to cast the demon out of her daughter. So think about this. This Canaanite woman acknowledges by faith that Jesus is the son of David, the, the rightful ruler of the land. She begs him to cast out the demon. Why? Because she believes he can. So you, you hear those two things and you say, surely he will do it promptly and, and send her on her way, right? If you think that, the next line might be shocking to you. For all that begging and crying in those statements of faith, verse 23 says, but he did not answer her a word. <clears throat> Have you ever been there? Praying and praying, crying out, and, and all you perceive is silence? And we're about to see that that silence was not the only obstacle she had that day. Watch how his disciples react. It says his disciples came and begged him. Now they're begging too. They send her away. She's crying out after us. What, what are they doing? They're saying, Jesus, this lady is really getting on our last nerve here. Would you please, I believe he's saying, just, just heal her daughter, get it done, and, and send her away. Now, why do I believe that's what they were saying? Because of how Jesus answered them in verse 24. Verse 24, he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You see, he appears to answer why he has not healed her. And I think about this woman. How many of us would have walked away at this point? I'm going home. I'm getting on my computer on Google and I am giving Jesus a, a one-star review, <laughs> right? How, how many of us would have been done? Not this lady. Not this lady. Verse 25 says she came and knelt before him again saying, Lord, help me. The prayer of a desperate woman. It reminds us of the prayer Dave told us about when Peter was sinking, short and to the point. Lord, save me. That was Peter. Here it's, Lord, help me. So surely now, seeing her persistence, he'll do it, right? What's he say? Verse 26, he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dog. Today, we, we hear that, and there's some people saying, whoa, 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 Jesus, that is not politically correct. 
There's some sensitivity training classes at the local college you need to enroll in. Right? Well, to get into what Jesus is doing here, we've got to understand the culture at that time. There were many Jews who would refer to unsaved Gentiles, non-Jews, as Gentile dogs. That's the fact of the matter. He's likely reflecting what his disciples who were annoyed with her were thinking en route to teaching his disciples a lesson that they would never forget. And some have aimed to soften this. There were two words for dog in Greek. One was the large stray dogs that roamed the streets and ate the garbage. Nobody liked them. This is a different word for dog here. The word he used is for beloved household pets. But still, even that said, it's not the most encouraging <coughs> name in the world. I remember when I catered in Chicago and took the hors d'oeuvres around for a second time, and one lady said, I said, no, thank you, poodle. <laughs> she called me poodle. I remember how that felt to this day. Wow. But Mark fills us in that there was more encouragement to be had in, in Jesus' words. Listen to what Mark tells us here at Mark 7, 27. He said to her, let the children be fed first. For it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. I believe there was all kinds of hope packed into that word first. See, he's not excluding Gentiles completely. He's focused more on the order of the salvation plan. Yeah, his ministry for three years here focused in Israel, but even he then made exceptions, such as the Samaritan woman at the well. But you remember what he told her before she was saved? John 4.22, he explained to her salvation is from the Jews. Even Paul says in Romans, for the Jew first and then the Gentiles. I like the way Michael Green put it. He said, this passage is like a halfway house between Matthew 10 and Matthew 28, where Jesus tells his guys, don't go into the way of the Gentiles in chapter 10. and 28, what's he say? Go into all the world. Some have even suggested, and I don't doubt it, that when Jesus said these words, you know, we can't hear the tone. We can't see his face. Perhaps there was a glimmer in his eyes or a smile on his face as he said these words. We don't know. Whatever the case, I believe she found hope in his words. Why? Verse 27, she said, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And I think about this precious woman. I think about how she had so very little to go on. But she grabbed it in faith for all it was worth. Charles Erdman put it this way. He said, it's not exactly right to say that she entraps the master in his words. He rather points out the path which her ready wit and eager faith at once followed. 
You see, he was paving the way for her to seize onto this in faith. Now, after all of this back and forth and this delay, finally, verse 28, Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. Mark 7, 29 says it this way. He said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. 28, and her daughter was healed. Instantly, Mark 7, 30, she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Can you imagine her relief? Her joy. Her little girl's suffering had been ended by the Messiah. Now, I look at this encounter, and I want to think about God's design in, in moments like this in our lives. Moments when he says no to a prayer, or moments when he knows the answer is yes, but not until we face some more obstacles first, and we're left wondering what in the world is going on. Does God love me? Does God hear my prayers? Those moments where we wait and wait and wait. And I do not pretend to know everything because God's ways are higher than our ways, right? But as I look through the scriptures, I believe there are at least three things we know to be true in moments like this. And they're all going to start with P to help us remember them. The first word is person. Person. Prayer is about a relationship with a person. Not just an answer to a request. Think about this. What if things had gone differently? Verse 33, she says, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is oppressed by a demon. And what if he said right off the bat, your daughter's healed. Then she went on her way. That would have been wonderful, right? But think about what she would have missed out on. This back and forth conversation with Jesus, the Son of God. And if you read through the Bible cover to cover, whether it's Abraham, Moses, Peter, or this woman, I believe you'll see that he cares much more about our relationship with him than the answer to any particular request. We know the priority of relationship in, in human relationships, right? I mean, husbands in the room. Imagine, you, you get up early for work and, and you write a note out for your wife. You leave her a note and you, it says, please clean up the kid's bedroom while I'm gone. I'd like roast beef and potatoes for dinner at 5.30. Maybe some romance at 10. You never check in for a heart-to-heart -heart during the day. You never call and say, how's your day going? You do get home for dinner and you barely say a word. And once you're done, you leave the dirty dishes on the table and go in your den and watch television. What kind of relationship is that? Where's the, the intimacy in that relationship? But could we just acknowledge for a minute that that is what it's like 
in our relationship with the Lord when all we focus on is our requests? He cares about the request, but there should be much more to prayer than that. It's a person on the other end of the line, God himself. So when we find ourselves waiting, wondering, I want to encourage us to be people who continue to talk to him by praying. Who continue to listen to him by pulling out his word. People who continue to learn to know him better. Even in the waiting. I think about that and I think about a very short psalm, Psalm 131. It's just three verses. I'll read the first two. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. Listen to verse 2. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me brings up weaning, right? Think about before weaning. Some of you know this, right? Before weaning, there's, there, there's a primary reason that baby wants mom. That's milk, right? Because of what mom has to offer. If you've ever heard a hungry baby at that age, you know what I'm talking about. Then they're weaned off of that. Now, a weaned child may still be young, may not know much, but the point here is the weaned child is content just to be in the presence of mom. Now take that to our relationship with God in those moments where we don't understand what's going on. I may not understand what's going on, but can we still say I'm content just to be in your presence, Father? That's what he's pursuing in us about a person. That's the first of our three P's. Second P is perseverance. Perseverance. Need some of that in this world, don't we? Tests of our faith are designed to grow our faith, particularly in the area of perseverance. How do we know this? Just think about James 1. Crazy words if you stop short of the explanation. James 1, 2, count it all joy. My brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. <laughs> Have you ever seen that on a t-shirt? <laughs> Woohoo! Thank you, Lord, for everything breaking down. Is that what it means? What, what do we have to be joyful about in the middle of what's going on? Not necessarily that this or that happened, but what? Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. You know God is growing you. He's desiring to grow you in the middle of that trial. I like the way Warren Wearsby put this. Jesus did not do this to her to destroy her faith, but to develop it. To develop it. Samuel Rutherford said this. He said, it is faith's work to claim and challenge loving kindness out of all the roughest strokes of God. Even when the evidence looks like he's against me, I trust him, though he slay me, as Job 
put it. It's just like the parent, right? Who, who doesn't give their child everything they want the moment they ask for it. Why? Because they, they care more about the child's character than about the child's possessions, right? God is a loving father after deeper treasures. He wants his children to grow, to persevere. Person, perseverance, final P, proclamation. Proclamation. Tests of our faith give us a unique and powerful testimony to share with others who face similar situations. They give us something to proclaim, right? It's been said this way, out of our test comes a, a testimony, right? Go back again to what I said earlier. If he had healed his, her daughter right away, that would have been wonderful. But this healing would have blended in with all the other healings, right? Just like the ones we see in verse 29, 30, and 31. But because of the unique way that Jesus orchestrated this, her testimony stands out. It proclaims to you and to me 2,000 years later that when we find ourselves facing our own obstacles, our own waiting, our own difficulties, to persevere. And trust him. Person, perseverance, proclamation. As we prepare to close, I, I want to share with you a, a modern day example of a woman praying for a different kind of healing for her son. One of the joys of summer vacation is getting to sit on the in-laws porch and read a book. I just finished one in Ohio called Out of a Far Country by Christopher Yuan and his mother, Angela. It was written in 2011. May 15, 1993, Christopher came out of the closet, confessed to his family that he was a homosexual. The family did not know Christ. They, they cared about respectability in their business primarily at that point. But mom was so devastated that she bought a one-way ticket on a train and she planned fully to commit suicide. She was not planning on coming home. God had a different plan. When she got off that train, she met a woman who led her to the Lord. But she went back home. They had a walk-in shower that was never used, and she decided to make that her prayer closet. One of the first prayers she prayed in that shower was, Lord, help me be the light of Christ in this family. She put a Bible on the bench in that shower, a pillow on the floor, and she got down on her knees. That's how she started every day, just me and God, she said. And the verse, your mercies are new every morning, was her, her life during that season. As she continued to pray for her son, who was very angry with them because of their opposition, she, she wrote him. She, she visited with him. But things grew worse. He began to sell drugs nationwide. He attended raves across the country and became a national supplier of drugs for the raves. At the peak of this, he, he lived in Atlanta and in Angela and her husband, Leon, 
went there. They went to a First Baptist church in Atlanta where Charles Stanley preached at the time, and they invited their son Christopher to, to join them there. He, he wasn't there at the beginning. They kept looking to the back, kept looking to the back, and one hour into the service, they, they finally saw him standing at the back. He didn't stay long in the service, though. As, as he shared in the book, he went to the bathroom at First Baptist Church and began to smoke ice. In his own words, he said, I exhaled and a huge thick billow of smoke filled the small bathroom stall. Now that's what I call worship. That's what he thought at the, the moment. His parents needed a ride from him later that afternoon and they went to his house, knocked on his door and his response was, get out. Get out. They went back home. She said she, she fasted every Monday for her son. She said, after this, I felt God was calling me to fast for a longer period of time. So she began a juice-only fast that lasted for 39 days. And she wrote down one of the prayers she put in her journal during that period. She said, I'll stand in the gap for Christopher. I will stand until the victory is won, until Christopher's heart changes. I'll stand in the gap every day, and there I will fervently pray. And Lord, just one favor, don't let me waver. If things get quite rough, which they may, I'll never give up on that son, nor will you. Though the enemy seeks to destroy, I will not quit as I intercede. Though it may take years, I give you my fears and tears as I trust you every moment. I plead. After that fast and that prayer, things got worse again. From a human perspective, at least, the authorities showed up at Christopher's apartment. Evidence was on full display of what he'd been doing with the drugs. And long story short, he went to jail and then prison. December 12, 1998, he saw something in the garbage can. Looked unusual, reached in to see what it was. It was a, a Gideon Bible. He said to himself, I got a ton of time on my hands. Might as well have something to do. And he opened up the Gospel of Mark in that prison. Still, things got worse. He went for a medical appointment in prison and the nurse told him, I've got bad news for you. You are HIV positive. <coughs> After receiving that difficult news, reeling, wondering where this would all lead, he went back to his bunk, laid down, and, and he saw scribbled above him. If you're bored, read Jeremiah 29.11. He read those words, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And it was at that moment he said he realized, like in the system, you're a number to everybody, number so-and-so, come up. He said, I realized I was not a number to God, but one of his precious creations. And he gave his life to Christ. There was a prison ministry going on in there. A guy named Eddie was leading it. And, and Eddie 
said to Christopher one day, I believe God wants to use you in ministry. And he started teaching on occasion about God. He even started to inquire into an application to Moody Bible Institute where we spent some years in, in Chicago. But he realized something. He had to deal with his homosexuality. He still had these feelings. So he went to a chaplain in prison. Sadly, the chaplain gave him a book that condoned his homosexuality. Thankfully, God was not done with this young man. As he pulled out the Bible, God's word, and put it next to this book, he realized it was sin. Sin that needed repented of. It had become an idol in his life. And he, he prayed this beautiful prayer that any of us should pray if we have an idol. He said, Lord, you are sufficient. You are all I need. And don't let me ever forget that. And he turned his back once and for all on that lifestyle. Fast forward to May 15, 2001. Final release. He's riding back home with his parents. As they got near the house, there was a huge yellow ribbon tied around the pine tree. If you don't know what that means, stay with me. He got inside and there was a song on repeat that his parents had left going before they left. Tie a yellow ribbon around the old oak tree. I never knew the background of that song. It was about a prisoner who, who got out of prison and he told his wife, they're going to drive me by the house. And if I'm welcome home, put a yellow ribbon around the tree. Story says there were a hundred that that wife put up. He knew what that meant. He was welcome. And he said when he went in their house, there were more than a hundred yellow ribbons tacked to the wall. And his mom said, Christopher, each one of these ribbons is signed by someone who's been praying for you who's been praying for you all these years. He said, my mother embraced me, her eyes shining. Christopher, welcome home. He was accepted to Moody Bible Institute right about the time where we were finishing up. He now teaches for Moody Bible Institute and travels with his mom sharing the story. I think about his story, and one thing I'm so thankful for is that it was written by both of them. Because as powerful as it is from his perspective to step into the shoes of the mom and her persistent crying out to the Lord on behalf of her son, that's what really, really gets me. As we close, I want to go back to those three Ps. You think about her, how she grew to know the Lord as her Savior during that difficulty. She thought it was about him only. It turned out to be about her, too, a person of God. If you're going through something right now, could you cry out to him this morning in your heart, God, help me know you better in this difficult time. I know more than anything else, you are who I need about the perseverance. Would we be willing to pray that bold prayer, God, help me grow in perseverance in any other way you see fit for me to grow right now? Show me where I need to grow. And finally, that proclamation. If you're in the middle of the 
the waiting period? Maybe the question is, who could I go talk to and, and listen to their story to encourage me right now? That's, that's what the church is for. Reach out to someone, say, I'm discouraged. Listen to what God has done in their lives. But if you're on the other side of the waiting, the other question is, who needs to hear my story? Who do I know that needs encouraged in the middle of their own difficult time? Person, perseverance, proclamation. Lord, I thank you so much for this encounter with this woman. I thank you that you recorded it for us. I thank you for the, the encouragement it brings us because every one of us in this room knows that sometimes the answer we want comes quickly. Sometimes the answer is no. And sometimes it's wait. And sometimes we get discouraged. I pray that you would meet anyone there this morning with the loving person of Jesus Christ, the Savior who met this woman where she was in her time of need, engaged her in conversation, and changed her life forever. In Jesus' name.